Welcome back to Dear Daisy Girls. I'm Amaya. I'm Arshia. I'm Nithya. And I'm Yuktha. Today we have some really special guests joining us from ABIC, or also known as Advocates for Backlogged Immigrant Children. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So hi, I'm Nehal. Um, I'm 16 and I'm from San Diego and I am a board member of ABIC and the purpose of our organization is to essentially raise awareness regarding the green card backlog, H4 Dreamers and the, and the relevant legislation that is associated with it. So the bills like S386 and whatnot that are currently in Congress. Hello, my name is Kasif Simham. I'm currently a member of ABIS and my role is pretty much market and talk a little bit more about what's going on in our organization, what's going on for uh, legal immigrant children like us. I'm Vatsala and I also help out in ABIC for like different things like writing stories and stuff. Basically our organization um, is raising awareness of the green card backlog that's not very heard of. Um, not a lot of people know about it. Um, so we're trying to raise awareness so more people know about it and um, we, we can like help um, the backlog get cleared up because it's really, it's like a really long line for us and a long wait. Okay, great, awesome. So, um, so what exactly is the process to become a legal citizen of the US? So it essentially starts off by usually you would get some sort of visa and the visa that um, relates to us would be the H-1B, which is what our parents are on. And then what we're on are the, is the H-4 visa. And that's how somebody would typically come from another country, say India or China, they would come on a visa. And then after you get your visa, you can apply for permanent residency to get your green card. And then after, I think it's about a period of five years after having your green, green card for that long, you can apply for citizenship. And the process seems pretty straightforward, but it can take as long as 20, 30 years, depending on what your visa category is, depending on how you get your green card and things like that. So in my opinion, like my like journey of like coming here and like getting citizenship, like I know for Ammu too, like the process was super easy for us and our parents. And that's why we're not like super informed about like this backlog and how difficult it is for some other people. So are you guys like personally affected by this or do you know anyone that's affected by it? And like, how, how bad is it really? So yeah. I, I think I can answer that question, but uh, the process is really bad. I think the backlog is about 200 years, like 198, something around that. You could, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You could definitely, there's like definitely some ways you could get past it. Like there's like you know, some kind of organization things that you got to do. But as of right now, what's looking like the best way of, you know, becoming a citizen, at least for us, is probably like getting married to a citizen. It's, it's extremely hard, especially since I got to go to college. And after college, I got to apply for an OTP, which is a, it's like a certain period of time where I get to like kind of sit down, settle down and work. And then from there, I got to apply for an L1 or an H1, which is another same process that my parents went through. So even if what essentially what it means is even if my parents get green card, if I'm 21, so I'm, you know, sophomore year in college, I, I can't get green card with them. I'm, I'm a separate entity altogether. So that's where yeah, it comes and to. once. Yeah, and once you turn 21, you have two options. Either you have to switch to a different visa um, or you would get deported. So when you switch to a different visa, 
um, it's really hard because you like once you get a job and stuff, you have to apply for the same visa that your parents are on. And um, you have to go back into that backlog and wait the same amount of time as they are. Yeah, um, I definitely get what you're saying. Um, like, I'm kind of in the same boat because I'm also on an H4 and my parents are on an H1. Um, so I, I know like a bit more about the process. And um, yeah, marrying a citizen is definitely the best option. The best option. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so our next question is, um, can you guys explain more in detail what exactly um, H4 and H1 visas are, just so our listeners know what it is? Yeah, so H1B visas are work visas, and they're usually for those who are highly skilled. So that's, that's typically the visa that your foreign like tech professionals and people like that would be on. And the H4 visas are dependent visas. So that's what the spouses of those workers and the children of those workers would have. Okay, thank you for that. Um, so like like Yukta said, um, obviously Nitya and Yukta, they weren't born here. And Nitya's not a citizen yet, so she probably understands a lot more than I do. Like I was born here and um, my parents kind of went through the immigration process pretty fast. Like, you know, they got their green card and they got a citizenship pretty quickly but that's obviously not the case for some people so can you explain um what exactly is back so obviously the definition of backlog is that there's a long line but how are these green cards being backlogged to begin with i think it's because like um like you said like when your parents um like went through the process it was quicker i think it's because um it wasn't very common back then to get a green card or there weren't as many people waiting in the line and now um there's like a lot of people like i don't have like the exact figure but it's like over 100,000 people waiting for their green card so um like, I feel like that makes the backlog. And since there's so many people, it takes time to process. So I think that's what's taking it so long. Oh, I'm just going to add on to that a little bit. So adding on to that, this is actually targeted towards the S386. But what this pretty much is doing is that every country originally had a quota. So India, Afghanistan, Fiji, Fiji, all these other countries that had their own little quota of certain green cards that the U.S. is issuing to them, right? Since India, Philippines, and China uh, have a huge grain of immigration coming in, they have their own specific line. Their line's the ones that are being backed up. But other countries like New Zealand, like the countries that don't have too many immigrants coming in with the H1 visa, are the ones that are going in fast. It's, it's, that's why it's a big problem, because we have these many people coming in from India. And this is only specific to the most popular countries, which are India, Philippines, and China. Yeah, to further elaborate, um, Obviously, there was higher demand for H-1B visas when the tech boom happened in the 1990s and the early 2000s. And that was when you saw a lot of H-1Bs coming in from India and China. And before that, it was pretty straightforward to get a green card through that process. But suddenly, with so much demand for a green card, it became backlogged. And the reason for the backlog is essentially um, no country can take more than 7% of certain types of green cards that are allotted. And this works fine for countries like Sri Lanka or smaller countries with lesser H-1Bs. But this doesn't work for countries like India and China because they, they receive the same amount, as, amount of green cards as smaller countries 
with way bigger demand, essentially. And that leads to a green card backlog. And I believe some sources even say that the backlog is, it can take up to 150 years to get a green card under certain categories of the H-1B visa, which would include like EB-2. Um, and that results in extremely, extremely long wait lines. And the issue with that too is without a green card, H-4 is like, we can't work we can't receive financial aid, we can't receive scholarships. So even comparing our visa status to people on like DACA, with the, where DACA at least they're able to receive work permits and whatnot. And we, when we're waiting in line, we can't work, we can't really do much. So that's sort of the issue. Also advocating for the end of the backlog and advocating for almost like more rights for H4s. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. And um, at certain times, it, it seems like um, illegal immigrants or children that are on DACA like have even more rights than um, immigrants who are here legally, which is um, problematic. But um, I also wanted to add, um, we've been going over like a lot of information-based stuff, but like um, the fact that certain countries can only take up a certain amount of green cards What's your guys' personal opinion on that? Do you think that um, this system needs to be reformed? Do you think that it's working? I mean, like, it's not, but, like, just say your opinion. <laughs> so, obviously, we're, we're from India. Most of the H4s in this chat are probably from India, and India doesn't benefit from that 7% green card allotment because our demand is so high and that's what results in the green card backlog. So the vast majority of us in ABIC don't believe that that 7% allotment is fair. Um, personally for me, I would prefer a system that's entirely based on merit and it has no sorts of um, only 7% of green cards can be allotted to this country or that, that sort of thing. I would prefer it to be almost similar to like Canada's immigration system, which is point-based and it doesn't have very much to do with what country you're from. It has more to do with your talents and what you would provide to the country you immigrated to. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, I think there's been a lot, um, like a couple um, bills that have gone forward that um, are requesting to take the country cap off, but they haven't really made much progress. Yeah, that's really what S-386 is. Um, this bi the bill that we have advocated for in the past in ABIC would essentially increase the per country cap on um, family-based immigrant, family immigrant visas from 7% of the total number of such visas available that year to 15% and also eliminate the 7% cap for employment-based immigrant visas and H-1Bs are employment-based immigrant visas. I definitely agree with you in saying that um, we should definitely copy Canada on a lot of things, um, but immigration is a really big one because this idea that, I mean, you know, the only reason people want to come to any country or migrate to any country is for better opportunities for a better life. It's not like they're coming here to ruin the country. So they obviously are going to contri contribute something to the country. And I think, um, this idea of having a merit-based system is really helpful and would be a really good thing to put in place. So you were talking about like a merit-based system and how that would help with like this entire backlog. 
issue. But other than that, is there anything else you think the government can do to speed up the process or even make it like a little easier for everyone waiting in line right now? Okay, I can answer that. Well, one thing was actually passed the S386 bill, which is not looking too good right now. We had lots of hopes for it, but uh, it just kind of fell off because you know the government's about to restart and everything's gonna happen. So you have to do the, the entire process all over again. That's one way. Another way is maybe providing us with more resources. Uh, I'm not, like I said, I don't want to throw hate on anybody. I understand why DACA kids, you know, people are immigrating here, whether it be legally or illegally, I don't want to throw any hate, but I get, the, sometimes I get the feeling that they're definitely getting a few more resources than we are. And there's definitely some stereotypes that's kind of being established because of them that, you know, it's, I feel like it's harming us and maybe like supporting us as well, providing us with some kind of resources to could really, really uh, benefit us as well. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, um, I'm applying to colleges right now. And um, like, every time I apply, I have to go and email them and explain my situation to them. And um, because they consider me as an international student. So I have to I have to email them and explain my situation. And then I have to fill out like different forms so I can be considered for in state tuition. Um, and I can't get any scholarships like from the federal government or my state's government, but um, some colleges, if they accept you as um, an in-state student after you fill out those forms, then you can get some kind of scholarships from um, the college, but we can't really get anything from the federal government. Yeah, um, I definitely get what you're saying and I relate to that too. Um, I'm also applying to colleges and I feel like oftentimes when you fill out the application, it's when it asks about residency, the like two main options are like citizen or international students. And I feel like there's just not a category for people in our situation. People that have like grown up here literally did most of their school years here. Um, but yet like because of the legal status like our opportunities are so much more limited with scholarships and everything like you said. Um, I also wanted to add on that yeah it really goes down to resources and regarding the biggest problem of the backlog it really is that country cap that sort of gets in the way and that's ideally what we want to eliminate especially if you're from India or China um, but even if the government decides you know not to do that not to do anything with the backlog the least they could do is give us more resources like DACA kids, like the work permits, and even DACA kids are eligible for various scholarships and various forms of aid that we aren't, we're really not eligible for anything. And, you know, anything to make the situation easier, you know, so. Right, and I read on your um, page, the little Insta stalking before this, um, I read um, this article from this girl named Padma, and she was talking about how she literally grew up, she grew up here. She had all the American experiences, right? So she's basically an American, but when she was, when her friends were talking about um, voting and earning money and stuff like this, she couldn't because of her, because of her um, status, but she had done everything they did and they basically grew up together and their lives were identical, but the only difference was she was an immigrant and they weren't. We've been living here for like so long. Like I know a lot of my friends are in the same situation too. And we literally started going to school here. We, and you know, like we moved here when we were like two or three years old. And um, it's really hard, like right now, like for the elections, like 
almost all of my friends are voting. And then when someone asks me, they're like, oh, like, who are you voting for? I have to, like, explain to them that, you know, like, I can't really vote and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we as H4s can't do. I mean, I personally came to this country when I was three months old. So I literally, like, I don't know any other country. Like, this is where I've been all my life. And I still can't work. Um, it's really hard for us to even open credit cards. We can't take out federal loans. We aren't eligible for most scholarships. Um, H4 pre-meds are also quite unlikely to get into medical school. So that sort of healthcare route is often blocked for a lot of us. Um, and it's just little things that sort of add up and you don't really realize it when you're a kid because you think you're the same as everyone else because you know, like you've had all the same experiences, you speak the same with the same like accent, it, there's no like difference. But when you get older, you sort of start realizing like, oh, like this is a roadblock, this is another roadblock. It's sort of just something that builds up into this big wall. <laughs> and yeah, that's sort of the biggest issue about it. And then additionally, you have that constant fear of aging out and that prevents you from living in the present. And you're constantly thinking about the future. You know, you're thinking about what should I major in that if I age out at 21 will allow me to get an H1B for myself. It's, it's just things like that. Oh my God. Okay. I have to comment on that because like, yeah, what you said is like completely on point. When you're a kid, you don't really realize, you're just like, oh, I was born in a different country. Whoa, that's, that's so cool. But um, if you're on a visa, like, you don't know um, every, all the opportunities that blocks for you. Like, I remember when I got into high school, my parents like sat down with me and explained this. And it literally changed my entire perspective on like, everything I was going to do in life. Like I wanted to major in something like design related. And then my parents were like, no, like that's not, there's not a lot of H1s available for that. Like you need to, the tech route is the best. It definitely influences a lot of your decisions about college and your future. You definitely cannot live in the present. You always have to be thinking one step ahead. Yeah. And like adding on to that, I have a lot of family friends that aren't citizens yet. And going back to their um, homeland and like visiting their parents or their cousins or any other family members, it's like a really huge struggle to them because they tell me that if I go there, I don't know if I'll be able to come back. So I don't really understand that process. Can you like explain a little bit about it and if like it relates to the backlog in any way? Yeah, um, so I personally have not gone back to India for seven years to see my grandparents. Um, and the rest of my family, basically when you go and you're on a visa, you have to get a stamp on your passport that will let you come back to the United States. And a lot of times, um, you have to wait for like a really long time cause they need more information about you or something. I know, um, one of my friends had to, um, stay in India, um, for about four months while he was in college. So he had to like explain to his university exactly what happened. And like at the end, they're going to give you the stamp, but they just want to, you know, like get more information about you, which is like a really long process. It doesn't happen to everyone, but there's always that fear that it might happen to you. Um, so I just wanted to share like my personal experience regarding that. Um, so like regarding the whole stamping process, like I've had situations in the past where like they gave the stamp to me, my mom and my little brother. Well, my brother's a citizen, but they gave it to me and my mom. And so we were able to come back to the US. 
but they didn't give it to my dad. And my dad is the H1B worker because they wanted more information. And so we've had periods like that where my dad has had to stay for like an extra two or three months in India waiting for a stamp. He would always get it eventually, but that's sort of like, oh, we need more information. It's so like unnerving because you, there's no definite answer. And it kind of like separates your family for a little while. And it's, it's concerning, especially when the main person who makes the money in your house is stuck in a different country. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any more like experiences about it? Because like, I remember I had, it's not, you said, um, I think Vatsala, I think it was, said you haven't been to India in seven years. So it actually hasn't been that long for me. I went like three years ago. Um, but when I did go there, I felt like even when I was there, I couldn't like enjoy the time I had with my family because I was constantly worried about, are they going to give us a stamp? Are they going to give us a stamp? Um, so aside from like the legal processes, can you elaborate more on like the emotions that come with it? Well, I think I can answer that question. So thing is about me is I'm a, let me just give you a backstory about me. I'm a little different. Uh, I was actually born in India, raised in India for about nine, 10 years, 11 years. So it was actually, I left, I came here seven years ago. So it's a little different for me. It's much easier for me than you guys compared to, you know, how we, obviously because I've lived there as my whole country. I've spent most of my life there, but there's still that anxiety because this is my new life. And I, I, this, is, this is where I kind of grew up and I learned more information. You know, I kind of like came. And the emotions that you feel is you just cannot, it's, it's really hard for you to like have a good time. You know, sometimes I say I'm like enjoying the time with my cousins. And then like 30 seconds later, out of nowhere, just that's fear in my head that, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to stay here forever. I'm going to have to, it's in my new life. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty scary. It could be, it could be like, it could just jump at you out of nowhere. What my family usually does is we try to get, um, the appointment for at the embassy like closer to the beginning of our trip so we can get it over with and so we can actually enjoy you know like our time there like for the rest of the time because like the first few days when we're there and we're about to you know like go get our stamp um we're like really concerned we're like oh do we have these documents like did we bring everything and so it's really you know like like really hard time yeah, regarding the emotional aspect of it all, it's not only when you're in India and when you're waiting for a stamp, it's also when you're here. Like, it's sort of like um, like a hopelessness of, oh, like, I can't actually pursue what I want to pursue because I'm so worried about aging out and so worried about figuring out a way to stay in this country in the future. And so it can lead to a lot of, like, mental illness and, you know, like, depression and anxiety. And that already isn't really normalized in our community, to be honest. It really isn't. Um, and it's even worse when you're on a visa because there are so many roadblocks already in your way and there's not enough resources. Whereas with, you know, with some other minority groups and some other groups that struggle, they have the resources, they have people there. Whereas with us, there's really no resources. I feel like ABIC has been the only group so far that has provided me with any sort of like community that I could relate to. And so I feel like that's a really big issue, that lack of like support. Right. And um, like I said before, I was born here, so I really don't know what y'all are going through. Um, but I do have family who goes through what you go through. And um, as far as obviously I haven't felt these feelings. So um, but as far as looking at their situation and it's just so much tension 
And um, I won't go too in detail in it, but a close family friend of mine, she is on a work visa and her children, you know, their whole lives are here. You know, they're good students. They go to high school, you know. Um, she has a daughter my age. She's on the swim team. And they're very... I, they have the American life, you know, but um, she's on a work visa. When you're on a work visa, when you lose your job, I'm pretty sure you have 60 days to get a new job. Um, and every single time she would lose her job, because sometimes her job wouldn't accommodate for her visa. So, you know, they wouldn't take anybody who wasn't a citizen. And every time that she would lose her job or something, there goes her health care. And it's just this constant stress. You have 60 days to find a new one and they could easily in 60 days of lives completely change and it's so much tension financial pressures and that feeling of instability like Nahal said can cause so much mental illness and that's how um their kids really developed anxiety and had to go to therapy and stuff like that and um obviously like I said it's not me but I can kind of understand what you guys are going through, so or what people like you guys are going through. So adding on to that, actually, my mom's currently having a hard time finding a job. She recently got her extension for a work visa, and she may—I don't know why she majored in electrical engineering, but she majored in that, and it's, she's having a tough time because uh, most of her companies that she works for, like Boeing and NASA, governmental-funded organizations, which don't take immigrants, so she's having a really hard time finding a job. So yeah, I really understand what you're talking about. And I think like this entire issue of people um, like going to their home country and like not being able to come back, there can be so many other struggles that come with it because um, obviously I was born in India, but I came here and got my uh, citizenship within five years and got like naturalized. But I have like, I have some family friends that I'm not going to go into detail, obviously, but um the mother stayed here, but the father and the two children, they both went to, went to India. And then there was some situation where they weren't able to come back. And then the father actually passed away in India. And now the children, they're both like under 10 and they're really young. And like the fact that he had so much stress due to that, and it was like a brain injury and like a stress problem, I think is what caused all of it. But it's just, um, there's so many negative effects to this that, um, the government just doesn't understand. Like you might just think people are waiting in line, but that's not the deal. Like there's so many people going through different things, whether it's just death or whether it's people that are struggling to just find a job and make money to stay where they are. And I think that's like the main thing. Like people need to put themselves into the affected party's shoes to see like what actually is going on. Do I need to advocate for this? And um, going off of that, like how can we help as as like the youth community, we don't have, we have a large influence like on other teens and stuff, but what can we do? I think as youth, we don't really have that sort of congressional like government influence just yet. But I think the most that we can do is spread awareness and constantly try to elevate the voices of those who are struggling regarding um, immigration related issues or whatever it may be. And, you know, it might be something as simple as putting something on your Instagram story and having that get out to like two people who like go and check an organization out and they help elevate that organization's voices. 
it's it's small things like that that can really lead to like difference if it's done by a large group of people and so i guess that's sort of like the youth responsibility to, to just um elevate our voices and to listen when they're being educated and when they're being told about our personal experiences yeah that makes a lot of sense because like the conversations that we're having right now are not common at all and like being on an h4 visa like i've never had a conversation with like three other people just like me at the same time like it's crazy this is like never happened to me um but like the thing is like the situation is so rare and it it honestly like surprises me sometimes like how uneducated people are about it like you were saying the biggest way to help is to spread awareness right like that's the first step because a lot of people don't even understand the situation like when I try and explain it I'm like yeah I'm considered an immigrant and they're like oh you're living illegally I'm like no that's, that's not the same thing or when I when I say what was my other example I forgot but yeah basically um people just they don't even like understand what the situation is so yeah that's that's the first step of spreading awareness yeah and to add on to that like you said like you never really talk to people who are in the same situation as you um i didn't like other than like a couple family friends who are in the same situation as me i didn't really know uh, that there's like a lot more people out there who ha are in the same situation as me till i found um abic and I was like, oh, my God, there are so many people who are, like, living almost the same way I'm living. Like, I can't work or anything like that, and they can't either. And um, and then I, through ABIC, I found out about more organizations who like, who, like, spread awareness about this. So I was like, wow, like, I'm not really the only one who's, you know, going through this. Yeah, to add on to that, I think um, it's just conversation amongst ourselves, too. And we feel like there's not people out there that are in our situation, but the reality is, I believe I read in a source somewhere that there are 60,000 H4 holders in the US that are like children, dependents. And it's kind of concerning. It's like, if there are at least 60,000 of us, then why isn't there more awareness about this? Why aren't there more communities and organizations? And sometimes I wonder if that's just because of the cultural community that we're from, or if it's something that people just don't want to talk about like i don't know i i really don't know but i hope that abic and other organizations are able to create further dialogue regarding it something else that i want to add on to what Nihal just said is the fact that yeah other people don't recognize it but you know that's kind of understandable but the, the bigger problem that i feel is that politicians never really talk about us either like i said there's like 60k of us we're, we're i mean we're not a big part but we're still a, a vital part of the next generation and, you know, at least someone needs to at least, you know, say something about it. Uh, politicians have made comments. Uh, I'm not going to exclude President Mike Lee and uh, things like that, but things never really follows through, and that's the biggest problem. I feel like when the topic of immigration is brought up, um, they only discuss illegal immigrants, right? Like, I was watching the presidential debates, and in every single one, whenever the topic of immigration came up, it was just, like, DACA, um, deporting illegal immigrants. Like, I've never even heard a word about people living here legally on visas, waiting for their green cards, which is crazy, honestly. And I think um, it comes from this pre-notion that everything the system works right, when that's just not the case. The system is broken in so many places, and yet people 
um, fail to call it out every single time, you know? So I think it's really important that um, as Gen Z gets to voting age and gets to the age where we are allowed to become politicians, it's important to, it's important that it could easily be one of us in the Zoom call or it could be someone we know. Um, but it's important that we have a candidate out there for Congress, for president, for, you know, whatever, um, who represents these issues, who represents our issues. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like people, you know, I don't want to do Democrat, Republican, but I feel like people sometimes even overly praise like the left and Democrats when in reality, you know, we think that they're like our saviors, like they care about immigrants, they care about people of color. When in reality, a lot of them, I think a lot of it has to do with gaining votes and immig legal immigrants, especially are kind of seen as a political pawn. And that's with both sides. You know, I don't think that any side holds any sort of like, I guess, like sort of like godly notion, you know, and I think that's sort of an issue too, like not, I guess, um, what's the word? <laughs> like holding the left to some sort of pedestal and like keeping both sides accountable because, you know, the right ignores us and the left also honestly ignores us. And I feel like we need to like hold them accountable. Like if you're saying you're the side for minorities, you're the side for immigrants, then why aren't you talking more about us? Right. No, I definitely get that. And I agree with the, the statement that you said, like, you know, we kind of idolize the left. And I, I'm not going to say we idolize them for a wrong reason, because they do fight for a lot of things that apply to us. But, um, I mean, to us as women, I know Kostov can't relate, sorry. But as women, they fight for stuff that, that affects us. But you are right in saying that there are issues like this, which, um, which you know, play games with people's lives that isn't talked about with any like by anybody with a platform at all, right? Um, so I think what you guys are doing is incredible and I hope that um, you guys gain enough followers, enough an audience that we're able to make an impact. Yeah, I just wanna say like, I have so much respect for what you're doing because like my entire life, like I always thought there was no one like me either. And that's why I was like so excited to do this collab because I felt like, it would be like really unique and it's also really important because it's not talked about enough. So yeah, I do hope that we can um, give you guys more of a platform. And if there's ever anything you guys want us to help with or any more exposure that we can give you, be sure to let us know. But thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all. This conversation has been really nice, almost like therapeutic. <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you so much for giving us this platform and letting us speak on your podcast. Um, we really appreciate it. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for giving us the opportunity to actually let, you know, like a wider or greater or audience um, find out about what like a lot of people are going through. Yeah, no, thank you so much for joining. I think this was definitely a really important episode and um is there anything else you guys want to add well, not really except other than that, i just want to say thank you for giving us this opportunity thank you for another thing to speak out which like like we just discussed a lot of more people need to do and uh, address so yeah, thank you for that yeah of course okay so um i think we'll wrap up the episode now so thank you guys so so much for listening to this episode we hope that this discussion was insightful and you learned some more things about green card backlocking and 
um, the organization. So be sure to follow AVIC on Instagram. Uh, do you want to shout yourself out? Yeah, we're at Advocate ABIC on Instagram and TikTok. So be sure to follow us. Okay, awesome. So um, thank you so much for listening. Once again, be sure to follow our podcast on Spotify, our Instagram, and TikTok at Dear Daisy Girls. Bye, guys.